Hello and welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. My name is Stephen Montagna and I am the current chair for the Family Law Executive Committee section of the California Lawyers Association, or FlexCom as we lovingly refer to it. Uh, We are one of 16 sections here with the California Lawyers Association. FlexCom has been in existence since 1978 and its mission has been to assist with furthering knowledge of our members in all matters relating to family law and to elevate standards of the profession. Now, how we accomplish this great feat is by participating in the legislative process, mentoring new practitioners, issuing scholarly publications, and providing legal education across a variety of platforms. For instance, live education and webinars, which is an important transition because today I am the host for today's episode, and we are here recording on location at the 2019 California Lawyers Association annual meeting in Monterey, California, where a lot of continuing legal education is going on. And joining me now is the Honorable Mark Juhas. Welcome, Mark. Thank you for having me. Before we get to our topics, Mark, if you don't mind telling us, and I'm going to call you Judge Juhas if that's actually okay. Works for me. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Where do you work? What do you do? What your interests are? And your involvement with family law? So um, I sit in a uh, family law assignment, obviously in Los Angeles, California, where I have sat for the past about 18 years. All but a few weeks of my judicial career were in family law, have been in family law. Currently, I'm in a long cause assignment, which means generally cases that last five days or longer. Now, when you said that you're, you're primarily, you've been in family law primarily your entire career, is that by choice? Um, Actually, when I was appointed, I'd been a civil litigator, and um, I got a call from the PJ after about four or five weeks sitting in a limited civil assignment, uh, indicating that there was an open family law courtroom in Palmdale, which is part of Los Angeles County, and uh, I had been assigned out there. Because I hadn't done family law as a litigator, I was rightfully concerned, I think, Uh, but as it's turned out, it's been a really a wonderful experience, and, and a, it's been a good fit for me. Excellent. In addition to sitting on assignment, um, you also participate on a number of boards, committees, and provide education. Is that correct? I do. Currently, what are some of the positions that you, that you hold uh, in addition to being a uh, presiding judge in L.A. County? So I sit on a number of committees for the Judicial Council. Um, I'm the co-chair of family for FAMJUVE, which is an advisory body to the Judicial Council. Through FAMJUVE, we took a, we take a look at legislation, rules, forms, all of that, um, and then um, make recommendations to the Judicial Council for approval or not approval. I'm the incoming president of AFCC, which is the Association of Families, Children, and the Courts. Oh, I'm the current chair of the California Access to Justice Commission. So you've got a lot of time on your hands, then, is what it sounds like. I do. I have a lot of free time, yeah. Excellent. So, and today... Oh, I'm also one of the guys who wears a white suit for the Tournament of Roses. So the the folks that are on the little scooters that you see on TV... Excellent. I would be one of those. Very good. Which is great fun. Well, today, and more importantly, this weekend, you're here presenting a CLE program associated with the California Lawyers Association. Is that correct? Yeah, I am indeed. Doing an update. And specifically as it pertains to an update, it's the urine review. Is that correct? Correct. It seems pretty self-explanatory, but can you describe what the urine review is 
all about and, and, and how you approach it? Yeah, so not surprisingly, the legislature constantly makes changes to the law. There's constant rule changes in all, in all disciplines. But family, I think family tends to be one of those areas where there's a lot of activity. You know, family is one of those places where where society and the law all interact in all sorts of different ways. And so every year there's changes. And so I think that um, family law lawyers, especially and judges, need to keep up on the law. So this is an opportunity to do a, sort of a curated discussion of what are some of the hot cases that came out in 2019. And so speaking of hot cases in 2019, were there any cases that you believe stood out which is likely to have an impact big impact on family law uh, and the practice in general? Yeah, I think there's a couple that I'd like to highlight really quickly. Sure. One is uh, the Darab case. It's D-A-R-A-B. And that's a um, a case that talks again about civility. I think one of the areas that we're having constant discussions in all areas of the law, but primarily in family law, is you know, are people being civil to each other? Are lawyers being civil to each other? In the Darab case, a lawyer failed to um, set aside a default, and the Court of Appeals sort of took a dim view of that. Um, I think it's really important that we all understand that we're all you know, working together to make sure that justice is done and that we reach the right results. And so I think this case reminds us to be kind to each other. The other, uh, other one I want to very, very quickly mention is the Anka matter. And that's a case where child custody evaluations were, according to the Court of Appeal, uh, misused as part of a discovery process, which I think reminds lawyers, again, to pay attention to how they're using discovery, what the rules around discovery are, and how that's all going to look. It's caused quite a bit of consternation, at least in, in Los Angeles, I suspect in other areas in California as well, which has caused some stipulations and some other things uh, that have made lawyers a little more aware of what they do and how they do it as part of the discovery process. With respect to that, would you agree then that there's a growing trend in terms of the effect on civility within our practice in general with family law and, and how we present cases both in front of the court and how we handle uh, counsel and, and litigants? Yeah, you know, by necessity, family law tends to have people that are, for one reason or another, not seeing eye to eye. And while mostly that dissipates over time, um, there are a few cases where it's remarkably high conflict and that emotion and that upset continues for a very long period of time. I think it's up to lawyers. It should be really important for lawyers to distance themselves from that emotion in their clients and realize that they're of less value to their client if they become emotionally embroiled in that case. And some of that spills over into the way I think that they treat each other, that lawyers treat each other, and the way that lawyers treat uh, the court and the court process. And then quite frankly, there are times where, um, you know, a, a judge's emotions may get the most, of, the better of him or her, and he or she becomes overly involved in the process and make it a little snippy. And so I think that we all need to be a little careful how we, uh, how we treat each other and how we interact with each other. Because clients, honestly, and litigants take away a lot from the process and how lawyers treat each other, how the judge treats the lawyers, how the judge treats the client, how they treats the litigants. Everybody, everybody learns a lot as part of that. So we need to be cautious. So would, would you agree then that uh, going to CLE going to a program like Year in Review, it's kind of a good reminder, especially in terms of reviewing some of these cases that kind of remind practitioners of what our role is within family law context and, and what the uh, legislature and also the judicial branch expect from a family law practitioner. Always room for improvement. 
And so going to these things, I think does make it front and center, or makes you more aware of what the law is and how the, how the law changes are going to affect your particular client's needs or wants at that particular time. But more importantly, I think it also gives you an opportunity to, to yeah, be reminded of, of the various roles and the important responsibility that in, we all have in the family law arena. Now, you had indicated um, that your participation with providing continuing legal education on these boards kind of takes you up and down the state. And my understanding is that you are one of our presenters, in fact, for uh, the Family Law Section's continuing legal education program, uh, One Fell Swoop. Uh, is that correct? That is true. Excellent. And this is Family Law Section's program that's providing specialty credits specifically to uh, family law practitioners. Yeah, well, the, as the title would infer, if you go to this thing, you get all of the hours that you need, even on those more difficult to find areas. Now, specifically with this program, what kind of topics, if you're a family law practitioner and looking, looking to, to attend, what kind of topics are you going to be covering? We talk about the ethics of expert. We talk about the ethics of money. We talk about how to represent modest means folks through unbundling and that sort of thing. Uh, we talk about bias and how to be aware of some biases that you may have, um, all of that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of continuing legal ed education out there. Um, and I've been to some of these programs and specifically with this type of program, would you describe there, there being more interaction between the presenters and uh, the people who are there? They're listening to you, they're listening to you talk, talk about topics, um, but are they able to have a thorough discussion of some of these, these topics and flush out some of the issues that arise? Yeah, because of the nature of the topics and because of the number of attendees, um, we've been able to carry on more of a dialogue. We're not just a bunch of talking heads that are sitting up there saying, you know, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. Um, nor are we a bunch of talking heads that are saying, you know, the latest case is this, that sort of thing. It really is an opportunity to start thinking more about how do I approach this problem, what do you do with that problem, and so it allows for a greater discussion, which I think is better education. When people are, are talking back and forth and are having the opportunity to ask questions and get pushback and that sort of thing, it allows for better education, more, more robust education. Now, you've participated in this before with our essential programs, and right. I know that one of the main criteria that you were looking for as a presenter is location, um, specifically remote locations. Do you agree that there is a need for continuing legal education and specialty credit in the different remote locations in and around California? Yeah, I think California is a big state. And I think that we think about California in more urban ways than we should. Um, as part of the work we're doing on the commission and part of the work that the state bar is doing by way of justice gap studies and some other things, it's quite apparent that there are large parts of California that simply are underserved and are unserved by lawyers. And I think we make a real mistake, not only in the family law community, but in all parts of, of the judicial branch, if we don't recognize that the rural areas in California Need, we need to do some focusing on rural areas. And so, yeah, going out to some of the areas, that the, the cities, the smaller towns, and some of the places that real Californians that have real family law problems, the lawyers don't get that face-to-face -face education. And face-to-face -face education is not cheap. However, all the people that participate and plan education will tell you that face-to-face -face is by far better education, because it does give you that opportunity 
to whether you're how how you're interfacing with the presenter, but also you're sitting next to someone that you can then talk to and have lunch with, and you know have a break and have a cup of coffee with. So, so yeah, going to those places and giving giving the lawyers the lawyers and education an opportunity to sit and talk and meet with each other, I think is critically important. Now, you had mentioned that you're on a commission specifically. You're currently chairing the California Commission on Access to Justice, correct? Right. Can you tell us a little bit about that committee and its purpose? Uh, the purpose of, of the commission is to think about and stay, hopefully, one and maybe two steps ahead of what are the issues facing Californians in getting access to the court system, to justice, to all of those things. It's more than just making sure there's lawyers available. It's things like making sure that uh, there's language access available to Californians whose first language may not be English. Uh, Making sure that there are forms available to Californians to make it easier for them to bring their uh, petitions to the court. One of the issues that we're facing right now, I've been talking about rural access. You know, how how do we make sure that rural Californians get access to justice? Other issues, uh, you know, a record, a court reporter, uh, if there's a court reporter available, uh, how expensive is it economically available to to a Californian? Those are the kind of issues that we're facing and that we're talking about. There was a recent California case, Jameson, that requires that if a court is providing reporters, a court has to provide a reporter to someone that has a fee waiver. And how is that being implemented across the state? Those are the sort of questions that the Access Commission is concerned with. And I understand that this applies to to California, but in your experience and in your involvement with family law, is it limited to California or is this a nationwide issue? Oh, no. Self-represented litigants um, are, a, are a nationwide issue. Forms are a nationwide issue. Having access to the courts is a nationwide issue. California has mercifully um, addressed in a pretty aggressive and early on way many of these problems. We have a lot, lot of distance to travel. I'm not saying that we're perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but we are ahead of many other states. And so California has proven to be a leader in these areas. But yeah, the, the problems that we're facing in California are problems that are being faced all over the country. So I, I hate to put you on the hot spot, but what are some of your specific thoughts on improving access to justice? What is it that we can be doing locally to help assist these self-represented litigants? I think there's a lot of different things. You know, I I talked a bit about uh, court reporters. How we get a record and how we make sure that there's a a record in place assists litigants in so many ways. It's clear what the orders are. They have then a record to take an appeal, that sort of thing. Um, I think that we need to address many concepts around appeals. With so many self-represented litigants, cases don't get teed up for appeal in a, in a real meaningful way. So family law isn't developing in some ways like it otherwise would if everybody were represented by a lawyer because self-represented litigants simply aren't able to, it's not that they're not able, it's just that the rules are very complex and very convoluted. They're not simple. Frankly, the, the rules around divorce are very complicated and not simple. Uh, you know, I often joke, I, I've been a family law judge for a long time, if I got a divorce, I'm not entirely sure I would know what order the forms get filed in, how many of them get filed, where they get filed, how they get filed, what I fill out, how I fill it out, and I'm the one that's actually making the, you know, making the judgments. So I think that simplifying um, things for self-represented litigants, the reality is that, um, you know, 85 80, 85% of litigants in California probably are self-represented. In domestic violence, it 
rises to probably 90%. That's a large and, number. Yeah, it's a huge number, and that's not going to change. So we need to figure out how are we going to be able to adapt as a court system, and how is the bar going to be able to adapt and deal with self-represented litigants? So final question, are we headed in the right direction with respect to this access to justice thing? Absolutely. Directionally, we're, we're going in the right way. I think that, you know, how do we figure this, this stuff out? Washington's been um, exploring the idea of triple LTs, limited, legal license, limited licensed legal technicians. We're starting to think about, in California, would that work for us? New York had navigators, which were paraprofessionals, mostly in housing court. We're starting to think about that. Our chief is is very interested in that. Um, I think she's a great proponent. And so I think that we're going to be thinking about wayfinders, navigators, whatever you call them, um, looking at uh, issues of modest means. How do we rep- how do lawyers represent modest means folks? Because being frank, many lawyers have simply priced themselves out of the market. And so how do we how do we make sure that Californians of modest means have that legal representation they so richly need and, and justly deserve. So all those issues, I think, are, are thorny. None of, it's, none of the solutions are simple. Excellent. Excellent. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of the road for our episode, and I want to thank Judge Uos for the time and joining us today and for assisting with putting on the continuing legal education uh, for family law. Also, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. I'm Stephen Montagna. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Uh